I don't know if all of you noticed last week, but I forgot to dismiss the kids for, for Children's Church. Yeah, that, that's my, my bad. Uh, so this week, we're going to dismiss all the kids. If you are, um, <clears throat> what is it, preschool? Yeah, preschool through fifth grade, make your way to the back doors and you can leave right now, and you will be greeted by really friendly people who will take care of you and teach you God's truth while your parents and myself are under God's truth at the same time. Okay, have fun. All right, be good. All right, sweet. We got a lot of people who are vacationing, and so be in prayer while people travel and move around, and that vacation, they don't vacation from God's Word, right? We don't want to do that. We talked about that last week. Psalm 20, verse 7, that's where we're going to start today. It says, some trust in chariots or military tanks, some in horses, armored divisions. But what do we do? Children of God, what do we do? We trust in the name of the Lord our God. Does it always look like that as you go through your day, day in and day out? You know, um, Chip and Joanna Gaines. Is it a familiar name? Yeah, yeah. Um, they make dreams come true on their popular HGTV series, Fixer Upper. And, with a, and within a 60-minute, one-hour show, <clears throat> Chip and Joanna help their clients um, find a house to purchase, present a re- renovation plan, demo the necessary um, elements that remodel the entire house, decorate the entire house, as well as spending quality time with their children. And they work also at a retail store downtown and help to create the downtown dream center that they're, they're working on. All in an hour. Um, their clients trust them, right? That's why they chose them. They're, they appear to be trustworthy uh, people. They trust them to create something wonderful. Uh, out of something that's not so wonderful. There's a lot of faith. We talked about faith last week. There's a lot of faith that's exhibited with the hopes that this um, renovation problem, pro- project, hit problem, a project will not only be aesthetically pleasing, but would also be a financial success as well. Yeah, you invested this amount and you doubled your money. It's awesome. Everything always turns out right on the TV show Fixer Upper. But I'm sure you've discovered in your own life that things don't always work out so perfectly in real life, right? We, we, we know this, don't we? We're not duped, are we? Hey, I watch it too. Last week, we began our summer series, and uh, we began it by first defining the Bible. I hope you picked that up. And then we went on to define our faith. Real world, real people, a real God and real redemption through His Son, Jesus Christ. And last week, we looked at the popular cultural myth that faith can fix anything. I hope it created a debate in your mind for this week and that you went to God's Word and sought out answers. And we acknowledged from God's Word last week that while our faith in God, this tremendous Uh, faith that we've been given through Jesus Christ's death on the cross, it may not result in a debilitating illness, a health issue that you have being healed. But what we saw was that our faith in God is still secure. Amen? 
And God still takes us through to the very end, whatever that end is for each of us. And the Bible is full. We looked last week. The Bible is full of accounts of men and women just like you and I, just as frail and starting out just as faithless as you and I, who are, who are considered by God to be giants of faith. And we took a brief dip into Hebrews chapter 11, especially the end of that chapter. It's a who's who of, of these heroes. And, and the stories are real. And their faith is real. And their faith in God, we discovered, was grounded in a strong belief that God is sovereign. God is trustworthy. He's just, and He cares deeply about His children. And their faith was never grounded in themselves. The fact that they could pray hard enough and close their eyes and squeeze their fists hard enough to make things happen. It wasn't grounded there. It wasn't grounded in other people or the government or science or any other thing. It wasn't some kind of a positive thinking manipulation of events thing that we hear about all the time. You can be what you want to be. You can. Just believe it. I am not a professional NHL hockey player. <laughs> I wanted to be, but there was no way that was going to happen. I could believe all I wanted. Getting your desires in the here and now has become the chant of some of the gospel in our country. Where did that come from? Not the Bible. And it's because of our belief, you know, our, our faith, our trust in God. It's because it's so foundational to who you and I are in our faith of God that it's the backdrop to every one of these myths that we're going to look at this summer. Um, it's why I'm spending so much time. Maybe, why is he talking about faith so much? Because it is the backdrop. It's because it's so needed in our lives to explain what is going on. It's why I'm spending so much time, and I'm going to focus each week as we look at a myth. You're going to hear the word faith over and over again. We're going to be developing its biblical portrayal as we move along. Along. You know, when you came, for, I'm speaking to those of you who know Jesus Christ as your Savior, when you came to that place in your life where you, where you realized that something was wrong, like, like stuff just isn't working out the way people said it was supposed to or the way I dream it's supposed to, and you realized <clears throat> that it really had nothing to do with all this stuff and who you're going to be, that it had to do with the fact that you're a sinner. Do you remember that? Do you remember the time when it dawned on you that God revealed to you that you needed the forgiveness of your sins? Do you remember that? When you, when you realize then that forgiveness of your sins can only come through faith in Jesus Christ's death on the cross for your sins and that there was no other way, absolutely nothing. And it was in that moment that you put your trust in God to save you from the wrath to come. You were, you're going to be spared from that. You are saved from that. It is not going to be held on your account. Your sins are wiped away. You are going to spend an eternity with God. Romans 5, 8 captures how immense that really is and helps us with our perspective here. It's 
But God shows his love, that, that love in sending Jesus Christ, our Savior, to save the sins of the world. But God shows his love for us, and this is the impact. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait. God didn't wait for you and I to get our act together. What do I got to do to get saved? Like, t- tell me what hoops I got to jump through. There aren't any hoops. Nada. And our awareness of this undeserved favor that you and I get from God becomes more clear as we begin to, to understand that true act of love that Jesus demonstrated for us in salvation. And the more we recognize God's love for us, the more we want to serve, the more we want to please Him, and the more we realize that this faith that allows us to walk around alive instead of walking around dead like we used to is because we're covered by Christ. It's nothing that I've done. Hebrews 11.6 And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. It just is. Don't try. We're talking about God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe. There is that, again, that that belief, that trust, that faith. Must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Love is a verb. It's an action word. And so is our faith. But we can never fall into the subtle temptation to think that a strong faith in God will shield us from the perils of this present world. We can't fall into that trap. It distorts everything. It has teachings and preachings that are actually lies. And then people leave the church and they go, well, what they said, that didn't work. I got cancer. Uh, my dad died. This faith thing. And we saw that last week so vividly in Hebrews chapter 11, especially in verses 35 through 38. Storms of life will come. Were you woken up last night? Were we, were Sandy and I, were, we were sleeping in bed, and it's like, man, that rain, that wind, that th- everything just came crashing down. I thought I was going to wake up in the land of Oz. I mean, it was like... Is this, you know, wow. I was, I was kind of worried. I really was. I mean, it was, it was big. Those storms, could you have stopped that last night? No. I mean, it's a stupid question, Pete. The storms of life are going to come. The wind from those storms is going to wreck things. It's going to wreck them. Uh, termites will devour, can devour, your structure. Thieves can break in and steal all your valuables. That can happen. It can even happen online. But God is always faithful. God is the solid rock. Jesus Christ is the sure foundation. He's forever true. Like the psalmist said, we trust in the name of the Lord. Full stop. So, myth number two. That was the backdrop. Because we got to have these backdrops, or sometimes the myths sound pretty good. Myth number two. Let your conscience be your guide. 
And for those of you who do that, how's that working out for you? I guess we'll probably see you in the office this week. Oh, I've heard it this way. You got to be you. <laughs> that, that's catchy. <laughs> you just got to be you. Are you you? <laughs> what is you? Who am I? Sound like a philosopher. Or you deserve it. Go for it. I see this and similar sen- sentiments posted on Facebook quite often. It's like last week's myth that faith can fix anything. No, it can't. It's Jesus never promised that. That's not the purpose of faith. Have you ever listened to someone who's really going through a difficult season in their life, and, and they're, they're sharing their pain with you? They think enough of you that they're using you as a sounding board. They're using you as someone to, to cry on the shoulder, to, to agonize along with them about maybe it was an enormous injustice that happened, uh, uh, an unfairness that they're now facing in their life. And they might even, through that conversation, if they're really getting beat up, they might even throw it out, how could a loving God allow this to happen to me? Right. You may have even been the one who said that. And as you quietly listened to something real and emotional and, and, and a lot of hurt, it becomes crystal clear to you as you're, as you're listening that these particular problems, issues that are going on in this person's life are actually quite common to the human experience. They may be experiencing it for the first time, and you've been down this road before yourself, and sometimes they're often created by mankind's own foolishness or the evil behavior that we can have towards each other. But you're probably not going to point that out at that moment, right? Like, that's not the time to bring that up. Uh, as you did, eventually sometime you'll come to a place and realize, yeah, this is, this is, a lot of other people are going through this kind of stuff too, and I've just got to have God get me through it. It's not helpful. Your timing just might be off a little if you just go blurt out, it happens to everybody, get over it. Like, not good. Because we all know, don't we, that we live in a broken world? Do we realize that? That our world is not evolving into a better place? It it certainly doesn't look like that to me. Maybe you would like to debate and argue the opposite. I'm going to say we live in a broken world. And we know that our actions and the actions of other people have consequences, right? When you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, that reality doesn't disappear. It doesn't go away. And now, oh, there's no consequences. It's going to be wonderful. And it shouldn't be a surprise when you go through those trials or you come alongside someone else who's going through those trials and walk with them, listen with them through it. Bad choices result in, please help me, bad consequences. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't think of one or at the top of my mind where a bad choice resulted in good consequences. And sometimes the effects of those consequences last generations, as some of you so well know. 
And maybe you're listening to this person and you're listening to the trials of another brother or sister in Jesus Christ. And sometimes you'll hear someone adamantly insist that none of what's going on is their fault. You may have even said that. To, it's not, I'm 100% innocent. That makes red flags pop out for me because they've done nothing wrong. And then here's where the, the myth comes out. They'll say, I trusted my own conscience above all else, and I did what I thought was right. Do you remember an Old Testament book, and we've gone through it and into it many times, called Judges? Do you remember that book? It's, it's a lengthy book. It's story after story of horrible, unthinkable evil and wickedness against mankind, and it's God's chosen people. It's His nation that He set aside to show the world what it means to worship in pure heart before a holy God. And the whole book is, it's a mess. It's a, it's a train wreck. The consequences of that book over those years that that book records devastated the entire nation. It sent them spiraling down a destructive path. The effects were even felt by neighboring nations. And God ends the book with a closing line, a summary statement to teach all of us about following your own conscience. Here it is, and I quote, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Let your conscience be your guide. Go ahead and then duck. Completely convinced that our own thinking our conscience is the best and most trustworthy place to go to guide us to morality. As long as I presume I have a clear conscience, which is a big presumption, by the way, as we're going to see in a moment, and, and I have, I, I hear this all the time, I've got this personal sense of inner peace about this decision. But because I have that personal sense, the matter is closed and I don't want to talk about it anymore. See, there's the problem. I felt peace about things before and found out a week, a month, a year later, that was not a good choice. I wish someone had come along and gently touched the side of my head <laughs> and said, you might want to take another look at this. I'm not sure about that peace you're feeling. It may just be what you want. Ultimately, they might even say, I have to let my conscience be my guide. After all, isn't that why God gave me one? Well, that's cute. <laughs> it's clever. But I hope that you and I can offer the following helpful counsel when we hear that statement. Well, not really. <laughs> Not really. And why do I say that? Well, let's visit with God in His Word in the last few moments we have here. We're going to read first from 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. Listen to what Paul is saying to a church who's struggling 
how to live in the culture in which God has saved them. A culture which I'm going to suggest was more wicked and more evil than the one you and I live in. It was harder for them than it is for us. This, that's, as I read the passage this is, uh, the, in the history, this is what I see. But here's what Paul tells them in his second letter, chapter 4, 1 to 6. Therefore, I have this ministry by the mercy of God. We have this ministry, and it's because of God's mercy. So we don't lose heart. As everything around us crumbles, we do not lose heart because what we do has been given to us from God, and He is always faithful. But here's what we have done. We've renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. Yes, this is the way the world operates. Yes, this is how they can treat one another, but we're not going to resort to that because we're different, as Paul's going to get to. He has a pure, clean conscience, so he's not going to do this. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word and make it fit. We make up myths to fit the situations, but by the open statement of the truth. We're just going to read God's Word and let it sit there. This is what he says. Accept it, reject it, but this is what he says. And by that open statement of truth, this is how you can know. We would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience. Where? In the sight of God. Does your conscience, does your conscience say things, does your conscience cause you to follow through with decisions that align with the Word of God? And do you even consider that? Do we meditate on the Word enough that it actually permeates our thick consciences? And then he goes on to say, and even if our gospel is veiled, because there, there are times when you're going to do this, you're going to do the right thing, and it's going to be rejected. Get used to it. Because it's, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. This is what's going on around us today in our families, in our church family, at your workplace, in your school, out in the street. There's a blindness, and it's to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God. They don't get it. They don't see it. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. It's not about us. With ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake, what you and I are are servants servants of God, to do His will. That's what we do. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, He shone in our hearts. This is why I know most of you are here today to worship God, and it's because God has turned the light on in your life. You get it. You see it clearly. And He's given you this light of the knowledge of His glory in the face of Jesus Christ. How does it strike you that an apostle would feel this way about his conscience? That his conscience is not his guide, but the lordship of Jesus Christ living in him is his guide. 
Paul clears this up even further when he's talking to a young man in the ministry. His name is Timothy, and in 1 Timothy 1, 5, and 7, Paul says, now here, Timothy, listen to me. The aim of our charge, the, 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 the mission statement that we live by, that we go by, is love. We need more love, don't we? And we need it from the church desperately because we're not seen that way. The aim of our charge is love. And where does that love come from? It issues from a pure heart. Where does my and your pure heart come from? Did you conjure that up? It's the heart of flesh that has replaced the heart of stone that you and I once had. And it's from God. So, we have this love that comes from a pure heart, and he says it also comes from a, oh, look at here, a good conscience. You got one? And a sincere faith. Certain people in the church, Paul's going to go on to tell Timothy, now, this is how it's supposed to be, but here's the reality, Timothy. There are certain people in the church swerve. <laughs> you ever swerved in your faith? Come on, be honest. Everybody put your hand up. Come on, just do it. It's good. It's good for the soul, and it's church, because God sees your heart. They've swerved from these three things, the pure heart and the good conscience and the sincere faith. And they've wandered away into these vain discussions about stuff in our world that it, maybe it's important, but it gets you nowhere. As far, it's, not, it's not an eternal thing. It's not about the gospel. It's not about Jesus Christ. It's about other stuff. There's no connection. And, and they want to be teachers of the law. They want to come across that way like, yeah, we got it down. And we are actually good communicators too. And listen to us. We're pretty charismatic. about We can really carry a conversation. They want to be these teachers of the law, but here's who they, this is what they are. They're without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make these confident assertions about. And that's where your conscience, that's where my conscience can take me and it can take you. If my heart isn't pure, if my conscience isn't good, if my faith is not sincere. You prone to wander? We can't just freewheel it with our conscience and let it be our guide. You can't go off-roading with your conscience and not expect it to be really bumpy. Romans 12, it's, it's a chapter I come back to so often. It doesn't matter what the message is that we're doing. Romans 12 uh, typically applies. And verse 2, especially right here, where Paul says, don't be conformed to the world. Come on. Know the difference even when you are conforming. But be transformed by what? This is the whole conscience thing. It's the renewal of your mind that by, and how do you know that this is happening? Testing, trials, hurts, letdowns, things not going your way, bad stuff happening. The testing, you may discern what is the will of God. You'll know. When the test comes, you'll know if it was the real deal or not. What is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. How's the renewal of your mind going? You know, how, how, how's it going? Um, our mind 
is a fixer-upper, but we don't need the Gaineses. Our mind is not reliable. It needs work. It needs work from the master builder. Our thoughts and our desires need to be constantly tested, tested by what is true, tested by what is good, tested by what is perfect. And the only place that can happen is in God's word of truth. But I hear this. I hear this a lot. I remember saying it myself when I was being raised by parents who knew better. I don't want to read the Bible every day. None of you, I know nobody in this room has ever raised that sentiment at all or felt that way. I know I'm speaking to everybody who's watching on video. I don't want to read the Bible. Pete, I'm being honest with you. I don't have the time. But I don't, because I have a good conscience. I don't want to get together with other believers and study the truth and talk about it. I'd much rather, you fill in the blank with your stuff. I got my stuff. Well, then that's what we're going to get. And there's going to be trouble. Like Jesus said last week, we read it. In this world, you're going to have trouble. But I've overcome the world. Second Timothy, Paul tells him something else. Verse three, uh, chapter three, verses uh, sixteen and seventeen. And we looked at this last week too, because this is foundational for us as we go through this study. All Scripture is. All Scripture is breathed by God, and it's profitable for teaching. It will reprove you. It will correct you. It will train you in doing the right things, what it is to be righteous before God, and that the man of God may be complete, equipped for doing all the good stuff that God has saved you for. What are you currently doing to be sure your conscience is properly calibrated? What are you doing? Decisions are going to come. They're going to come probably this afternoon. And, you, you, and you, it's not like you get a warning before they come. Decisions are going to come without notice. Is there anything that you should start? Is there anything that you should stop doing to better align your conscience with God's heart and with God's values? You all know who the blue fairy is? gosh. The blue fairy, Pinocchio. Blue fairy. Yeah, okay, okay, now everybody's going, oh yeah, that blue fairy. I thought we were in church. The blue fairy had the right idea when he gave Pinocchio his sidekick. What was his name? Jiminy Cricket. That's right. Pinocchio needed someone to keep him on the right path so he could get to the place where he could turn from a hardcore wooden boy into a real flesh boy. Be transformed. Sounds spiritual. Now, the little marionette didn't always listen to Jiminy, and when he didn't, trouble happened. So, Jiminy Cricket was Pinocchio's conscience. And in the Disney film, (laughs) which I don't necessarily recommend, but in the Disney film, he'd sing, give a little whistle, give a little whistle, and always let your 
conscience be your guide, Jiminy. And I'm afraid that many today, even in the church, live like that, whistling all the way to destruction, listening to their conscience, thinking, assuming they have a pure motives, that this is the right thing to do without checking it out with God's Word, without checking it out with God's people, without giving it sufficient prayer. Conscience can be a wonderful thing. It can convict. It can disturb you enough about something. It's just not right. There's something about this that doesn't feel right. You ever been in those situations and you got out of there and you were so glad you did? But our conscience is also warped. It's so easily seared. It's confused. And all these voices can so easily deceive our conscience to sin. Paul captures that for us. It's vivid. It's not fun to read, but it's real. And it's Romans chapter 1. I'm going to start reading in verse 19. This is humanity of which you and I are a part. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or even give thanks to Him for all the stuff that we have in creation. But they became futile in their thinking, those consciences. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they actually became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men birds, animals, and creeping things. We worship idols. We all, we all worship something. And the consequences of our actions and of past generations' actions from blind consciences are horrendous. Look how Paul captures it for us in verses 24 through 32. Therefore, this is the way you want to go. God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So be it. And for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. 
They were full of envy. Nobody in here, we, we never envy anything else or anybody else, right? It's in the list. Full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips. Gossips is in the list. Slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, pride and boastful, inventors of evil. It's not enough that it's just all around us. Let's think up a better way to do it. Disobedient to parents. <laughs> I guess we should call all the kids back in. You want to see what's in the list? Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. It's like Paul's synonym of adjectives, right? Though they knew God's righteous decree that those who practice this kind of stuff deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. You really want to follow your own conscience? A conscience divorced from the solid truth of God's Word? But Jesus, He communicates something completely different. He always does. To His followers, to God's children, to His brothers and sisters in, in Himself. And He communicates about this paraclete, the Greek word, this comforter, this advocate, this guide, this Holy Spirit of truth from God, that He is with followers of Jesus Christ forever. John 14, before He gives Himself up, body and blood, to cleanse us from all iniquity upon faith in His death, burial, and resurrection. He says to His disciples, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. There are a few better tributes that you could give to a Christian than to say, you know, they're a person of a good conscience. Because what are you saying when you say that? You're saying they're the kind of person who is known for doing what is consistently good to others. They always have the right thing to say. They always bring you back to God's Word and what it so clearly commands. Their conscience is informed according to the Word of God, and they let that be their guide. Even in the most tempting and challenging of predicaments, they always fall back on that. The Apostle Paul knew that importance of listening to his pure conscience that came from the Word of God. One day he was standing before the Jews, a council of the Jews who were always looking to kill him, to put him in prison. We've got to shut this guy up because he's just, he's turning the world upside down for Jesus Christ, and we can't have this. And, he, and, he, and it says in Acts, looking intently at the council, Paul said, brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. 
Wow, what a statement. And another time in the context of settling disputes amongst Christians, because we don't ever have those, but disputes among Christians over things that are disputable. Man, you can go either way on this and you're fine. Just get over it and get along. He warned, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of someone else? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. In other words, just like an employee must answer to his employer, to his boss, not to other employees. They have no jurisdiction over him or her. A Christian must answer to his master, to his own boss, not to another believer's conscience about something in particular that's disputable. The implications of this following Scripture and not following your own conscience individually for each one of us in this room are that we each bear the responsibility to inform our conscience from God's truth. That's something each of us has to do. Nobody can do that for you. You have to take God's Word and you've got to meditate on it and you've got to inform your conscience and then do it, even in trying circumstances. And the implications for us as a community, as a a church family, is that each of us in this room bear the responsibility to assume that others in this room and in this church family have informed their consciences from God's Word, and then we help each other. We walk along with each other to live according to the truth of God's Word and make corrections where they're needed. Paul uses this example. Um, when, he, when he talks about this, and he says, it's far better for a person who believes that they should just eat vegetables and not any steak. Yeah, there are people like that. I know, it's crazy. But he, Paul said, it's okay though, it's okay. It's totally fine. He says that it's better that a person eats only vegetables with a heart that is pure before God about eating only vegetables on the strict diet than, though, than join others as they eat steak with a conscience that is guilty about eating the steak or conflicted. Just, this is something that you've, we've got to get used to with each other. And by the way, if we're eating somewhere in church and you've got a steak on your plate and you're just, I shouldn't eat this, you can just push it over towards me. It's complete. I will help you be true to your conscience. I, I will do that. And I'll give you my vegetables. I mean, see how beautiful it can be? It can be. Meat and veggies don't matter as much as your heart before God, your conscience before God, not before me. It is before his own master that he stands or falls. This is at least how it's supposed to be. Is it this way? We're not there yet. In our contemporary culture, it might be better to say it is before the mob that a person stands or falls. Social media has made it easier than ever in our present world to form a mob mentality about something and use vicious, hateful power to coerce a person to go against their conscience to even violate their conscience. Mobs exist, even in the church, to bully and cajole, not to discuss and persuade. 
Mobs exist to force quick decisions according to their will, not to enable thoughtful discussion and prayer. Mobs exist to demand conformity, not to promote conscience. Many a Christian has violated their conscience over this last year, not on the basis of a true biblical conviction, but just to satisfy the wrath of the mob. Could be an executive board at your workplace. Could be the neighbors on your street. It could be the news from any side. Could be the majority of your own family is against you. Could be your peers at school. Mobs are everywhere. And as Christians in the church, we ought to do better. Amen? In place of mob rule, we need to each carefully distinguish between matters that really matter. It's about the gospel. We don't apologize for that. If it's got something to do with the gospel, let's talk about it. If not, Before God, you've got to have a clear conscience. Far be it from us to confuse matters of absolute clarity that God's Word speaks on, like Jesus alone saves. I'm not going to back down from that. But there are lots of things where there's a principal disagreement. For instance, we should worship at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Well, we do. Do we have to? Some of you are like, yeah, was, uh, 10 o'clock's way too early. I'm, I'm not going to… Well, we can disagree. Far be it from us to confuse unity with uniformity, to cause division by negating distinction in the things that we sense that God wants us to do. There are more than enough bullies in the world. We don't need them in the church. The honorable Christian is the one who chooses for the peace and the well-being of his fellow brother or sister in Jesus Christ, who rejoices more when they see a Christian heed his conscience that is different than theirs than they see them following the crowd. Would you rise with me? We're going to go before this awesome God in prayer, and then we're going to worship Him with our voices. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. It cuts, it heals, it does everything according to your purpose. We thank you for how it's ministered to each of us today, specifically, precisely, and now we praise you and give you glory in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son and our Savior. Amen.